Um, a lot of you already know this, but about three years ago, I was under pastoral care from a, uh, from a coach, counselor, whatever you want to tell, call him, and he was working with me on my personality and my, uh, my life at home, my life at work, just kind of everything was an open book, and he got worried about me. He was very worried that I was going to um, do something harmful professionally or to myself, and he, he said these words. He said, if you don't get a hobby, I'm worried you're going to die. Like, I'm concerned for you. And so I told my wife that. I said, hi, oh, isn't that funny? And she said, I'm concerned for you. And so I joined a golf club. I didn't do it because I wanted to. I didn't want to play golf. I did it for therapy. And uh, I've been getting therapy twice a week ever since. And uh, this is what I've learned about golf in Oklahoma. It's a lot easier when you're with the wind. I don't know if you know this. The, the wind blows in Oklahoma. And if the wind's behind you, if it's like a 20-mile-an-hour blowing behind you, then even a bad shot tends to get blown on course. And a good shot goes way down there, and you feel like, yes, I'm ready for the tour. But when you turn against the wind, then a good shot, for me, looks pretty bad. But when I hit a bad shot, one time I was hitting, it was a little park three, just a little iron, hit way up, and it had just a little, it wasn't a terrible shot, it was bad, but it wasn't terrible, and, but it was blowing, going straight into the teeth of that wind, and it just kind of went up and up, and it started going over, I'm like, surely you're going to come down, and uh, it did not go, it didn't land in the rough, it didn't land in the backyard of somebody's house, it didn't hit somebody's house, it blew over a house, and hit the car that was parked in the driveway on the other side of the house. Clonk! Like, that's what wind does. It, it just exacerbates. Anything that's all, slightly off target gets blown way off target. And I'm bad, but I ain't that bad. Now, I say all that to say this. The whole, we, we have a wind in the Bible. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit as the wind. Uh, he is the first description we have of him. He is uh, at creation. And he is hovering above the waters uh, on the earth, and uh, he's blowing. And he begins blowing on the earth and brings life, and that's what he does. And in the New Testament, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again, how you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God, uh, Nicodemus is like, well, how do I do that? How, I'm, I want that. How do I get it? And Jesus says, the wind blows where it wants to. You know when it comes, you see it, but you can't control it. It's, the wind is blowing. It's blowing toward Jesus. And in this text, the Apostle Paul is telling us that if we want to see fruit in our lives, if we want to see our character develop, if we want to know true joy and love and peace, then we need to be going the direction of the wind. We need to be walking with the wind at our back. We need to be going where the Holy Spirit is directing us. Because when we go against Him, we get frustrated. And when we try to go a, a little bit out of the way, we end up in, in crazy places we never expected. If we want uh, to, to see fruit, if we want to live and experience the, the joy, the, the abundance of Christ... We need to go with the wind. We need to go with the Spirit. Please stand as we read 
about the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh from Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse 13 and going through verse 26. Hear the word of the Lord. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Thus far the reading of God's Word. All men are like grass, and all of our glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's Word. God's Word stands forever. You may be seated. God's Spirit is a wind that is blowing, specifically blowing toward Christ and His kingdom. And if we want to know the fruit of the Spirit, we need to be going that direction. Paul describes here this this battle that begins when you become a Christian. It begins when you're born again and you're crucified with Christ. You're you're sinful desires don't die at that moment. They stay alive. And and now you have a a battle going on. You have the Holy Spirit within you who is cleansing you, who is remodeling you, who is making you to look like Jesus. And you still have the desires of the flesh. You still have your your sinful desires. And and those things can be strong. Those sinful desires, sometimes they, they seem to get control of us and they make us do things that we don't want to do. What we want to do in our heart of hearts, because we're born again, we want to please Jesus, but sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're, we're blown off course. And he tells us to, to walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, instead of, of being, letting ourselves be guided by the flesh. Now, the first thing I want to talk to you about is this enemy within the flesh. This What is it? And he describes it... Um, in verse 16, I believe, if I'm right, he says, uh, I walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Now, that word desires is, is vague, and it's not particularly helpful. Um, the old King James used to say the carnal, uh, the carnal lusts, and that's even worse, because that makes us all think of sex, and that's not what he's talking about. Um, what he is talking about there is the word itself is helpful. Um, I learned this from Tim Keller. I did learn Greek 15 years ago, 20, 30 years ago. But anyway, Tim, this is from Tim Keller, not my Greek notebook. 
um, the word thumia just means desire, right? You, you have thumia for the chiefs to win today or thumia for food right now or whatever. But it, in this particular case, it has the uh, prefix epi, which is uh, where we get the word hyper. It's a hyper desire. It's something you want more than anything else. It is a desire that you want so badly that it directs your life. That is the direction you are traveling towards your hyper desire, and we all have one. And uh, sometimes we have several, but there's one particular one that, that stands out, and that, that one hyper desire is what is leading us away from Christ. See, if Christ is not our hyper desire, then the, whatever it is, it's leading us away, and it's going against the wind, and, it, and it's causing us to get buffeted, and it's causing us, it causes all the other junior sins that come out of it. For instance... Let's just say, I don't know, random, not, none of you in this room have a hyper desire for the perfect happy family. Let's just say. Um, and you want a peaceful family. And you want a family that loves each other. And you happen to have human beings in your family. And they bicker. And they fight. Well, what do you do? You yell at them. You want a happy family so much that you yell at your kids to get it. You see the problem? Is that like you're going down? You're going in, uh, down the aisle in the grocery store, and you got your two-year-old in the buggy, and the two-year-old sees these bright, shiny M and M's and and wants and wants them now, and and you quickly push him around the corner thinking that's going to help. And that kid doesn't even have object permanence yet. In his mind, they no longer exist. And he's screaming. And everybody in the store knows you're a great parent. And so you yell at him. Never happened to me. What's, what's the problem? I want the happy, perfect family more than I actually want to love this child. This child who's part of my happy family has become an obstacle to what I want. And I don't see him as a human anymore. I see him as an obstacle, and it must be eliminated. And that can be true of anything. It can be true of, of pleasure. Maybe you've just made an idol out of uh, an epithet through me and a hyper desire out of being comfortable and anything that disrupts that comfort whether it be um, you know company coming over or uh, cable going out or whatever it is that dis- disrupts that comfort makes you just lose it you just lose it because you don't want much in life you just want things to be quiet be work. You know, we over and over again, we see uh, ourselves and our friends and people we love sacrificing everything to, to get the, uh, the job title, to get the status, uh, get the money that they deserve. And they, they sacrifice uh, their family and their time with their family and their time at church and uh, their friendships, all in the search of this one thing. And then when they get it, they have nobody to celebrate it with because they've already lost everybody. The epithumia is the, the hyper desire. None of these things in, the, in and of themselves are bad. 
But when, when they become everything, when they begin to produce the fruits of the flesh, the works of the flesh are evident, he says. What are they? He says they are... Um, he breaks, you can break them into, into areas. There's this kind of a sexual area, um, you know, just wanting pleasure, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. That is not just, you know, kind of out there in the world. It's very much in Christian churches. It becomes a, a problem for married couples when you think that it, basically it's just treating somebody, another human, like they only exist for your pleasure. Uh, the way God designed intimacy within a marriage is it's two people trying to please each other, bring each other joy. But when, when it becomes purely selfish, it, it, it turns into something ugly. Um, and, and you don't love that other person, and you're not trying to serve that other person. Um, here's just a, a pastoral tip for those of you who uh, really let uh, had pornography get its claws in you. And you still are haunted by those pictures, even though you may not have looked at them for years. And, and those visions will come in your mind. If you will, instead of struggling to not think about it, because let's just be honest, what's more futile than trying your best to not think about something? Um, if you will just pray for the people in those images. Just pray for them. See them as humans. Pray that they would get their dignity restored. Pray that they would be rescued out of this detestable industry that has taken all their um, honor away. Satan doesn't want you praying for him, and he'll stop bringing those visions to mind. Idolatry, sorcery. Um, If you need me to tell you not to practice witchcraft, I will officially tell you. Don't practice witchcraft. It's, It's real. It's dangerous. Don't stop and get your palm read. It's not just fun. You, you don't want to open that door. Um, it's not something to be played with. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. What was that? Those are uh, when, when, when somebody comes between you and that, in, that thing you have to have, that hyper desire, then you see them as obstacles and you're mad or they have something and you don't. And you don't longer see them as a person that you can take pleasure in. You're no, a person that you love. You're not happy that they have what you want. You're mad at them and they become your opponent, your rival. Um, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. We, we let our homes and our friendships get divided because one person gets the thing that we want so badly or gets in the way of it. Drunkenness and orgies, the, the gluttony, gluttonous misuse of of things to, to comfort you, um, things that make you feel better. It can be alcohol abuse. It can be substance abuse. But whatever, I, whatever it is, I can tell you this much, it will never be enough. And the reason why it's never enough is because your brain always adjusts to the new normal. And uh, there's a, actually a fascinating book about the neuroscience of addiction written by a woman who happens to be a neuroscientist and a former addict. And the book is called Never Enough. And it, it describes how, how anything really that, that hits that pleasure center uh, can become addictive because your brain just wants to live there. It's never enough. The, the, 
the feeling is never enough, the wealth is never enough, the success is never enough, the family is never good enough. It's never enough. And that's how you get enslaved to it. Super Bowl Sunday, I get to tell this illustration every year, once a year, right? Tom Brady, after three Super Bowls, two Super Bowl MVPs, uh, NFL MVP, goes on 60 Minutes, and he's being interviewed, and, and the interviewer asks, uh, he, he says to the interviewer, you know, the interviewer says, What's, what is it that keeps driving you? And he says, I know that most people look at my life and says, man, this is as good as it gets, Two Super Bowl MVPs, three rings, that's as good as it gets. And I tell you, there's got to be something better than this. And the interviewer said, what do you think it is? And he gets this very disturbed look on his face, and he says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. You know, when this chubby, long-haired display in front of you says that you'll never have enough. Success is never enough. Beauty is never enough. You're like, how would you know? If Tom Brady at the very top of the football world can tell you it's never enough, married to a supermodel, just devilishly handsome, can you believe him? It's never going to be enough. That's how the wind buffets you and blows you off course. But there's a better way. You have an ally. You not only have an enemy within you, you have an ally within you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Once you come to Christ and you confess your sins to Him, He well, before that even happens, the only reason why you did that, the reason why you're interested in Jesus in the first place is the Holy Spirit has come into you and he is, He's making you new. He's there and He wants to, to remold you. There's, there's two things the Holy Spirit does. John 16, Jesus is talking about the Spirit and the disciples are very sad, of course. He's about to leave them and and in a very public way. He's going to be leaving them, and they don't want him to go. And he says, but if I go, I can send the Spirit to you, and he'll be inside of you. And this is what the Spirit does. He brings me glory. What the Holy Spirit does, the, the direction that the wind is blowing is toward the kingdom of Christ. When we live for our own kingdom, we are going counter to the wind. And we're always going to be frustrated because somebody else is always going to get in the way. But when we turn and we face and point toward the glory of Christ and the beauty of Christ, then the, the Spirit's behind us. And He does something else. Not only does He bring glory to Christ, but He transforms us. Uh, this is a beautiful chapter. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And if you don't, uh, then write that down and look it up when you get home. Uh, but 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 17, says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? The Holy Spirit is, is transforming us into the image of Jesus from one degree to another. And what are we doing? We are, we're, we've turned our face toward Him. 
We are beholding the glory of Jesus. That's all we have to do. Now, that's a weird term, to behold someone's glory. Uh, what does that mean? What does that mean? When you see someone's glory, you're seeing them. You're not just looking at them, but you're seeing what makes them special, what makes them beautiful, what makes them them in all their glory. <laughs> um, illustration. My mom, um, last week of her life, was uh, we were in the hospital, and the, um, the anesthesiologist came in and said, I can't, I can't put you to sleep for this procedure. If I do, you won't wake up. And uh, he says, uh, Mrs. Jones, what, what do you want to do? What, what's left that you want to do? And my mom said, I want to go sit on my porch. And he said, I can give you that today. So he discharges from the hospital. A wonderful, wonderful man. Discharged us from the hospital. We drove, rode home in an ambulance. And she was too tired that night. It took forever to get her home. And then uh, the next day, she was just beat from the trip and um, talked to a few people but wasn't awake much. And that third day... She said, I'm ready. I want to sit on my porch. And we got her up, and we put her in that wheelchair, and we rolled her out. And um, she just to watch her enjoying the breeze and to feel that sun on her face. And she straightened up, and she had the best smile. And it was all her glory. It was what made her her. And to, and to, to behold that, it was something beautiful. And to behold Jesus on the cross where he's lifted up for us and see his love poured out for us. See that he was sacrificed for us while we were still sinners. That is beholding the glory of Jesus. And as we behold that, we're transformed. We're changed. The Holy Spirit uses that image to transform us from the inside and as we behold that, the, the fruit of the Spirit began to, to be produced in our life. And, and we begin to be what we were created to be. We, we begin, begin to become who we want to be. Uh, this, look through the, the fruit of the Spirit quickly together. Uh, love. What, what is it, the heart of love? It is to love somebody for them. Just to, to not... Not to try to manipulate them to get something for yourself. Not to try to use them or please them so they will please you. But just to love them for them, not what the person brings you. Joy, just delighting in God and the sheer beauty of salvation and, and who he is and who another person is. To take to delight in anything, really, is to have joy. Isn't that fascinating? Joy is found when we stop pursuing it. It's found through love. It's not found through self-indulgence. Peace, confidence, and rest in the wisdom of God. Rest in the wisdom of God. Patience. The ability to take trouble without blowing a fuse. Kindness. Kindness is kindness, but it comes out of a place of vulnerability and out of deep security, not trying to, to win people over for myself. Goodness, honesty, and transparency. Goodness is being the same in one situation you are in another. Faithfulness, loyalty, courage, principle-driven, committed. 
gentleness is, is self-forgetfulness. It's just um, humility. It's, it's not protecting yourself. It's not seeking yourself. But it's, it's just seeking the good of others. And self-control. The ability to choose the urgent over the important. The opposite of an impulse-driven life fruit of the Spirit. One thing, it's, it's not the fruits. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit being in your life. They all come together. You can't have one without the rest of them and call them the fruit of the Spirit. Some people think they have joy. Sorry, you may think somebody else has joy. But if they don't have self-control, if they don't have patience and kindness, then they're just extroverted. That's not joy, that's extroversion. Um, that's fine. I'm pro-extroversion. I'm glad some of you have it. Um, but, you know, it's not a personality strength. It's the fruit of the Spirit. They all come at once. And you can't tape them on. You don't get them by going out and seeking them. You don't get them by you know, putting yourself in terrible situations and seeing if you can learn patience. I don't recommend that. It doesn't go well. You get them by seeing Jesus, by seeking Him. They grow out. You know, it's, you know the illustration is sometimes people look at it out at their apple trees and there's no apples the answer is not to go tape apples to the tree the answer is to, to feed the root and let them come in from the inside and, and we feed ourselves on, on God's face and we transform from the inside how do we do that that's, the, that's the, the final question how do we walk with the wind how do we keep in step with the spirit and the answer is we walk toward Him. We make Him our desire. We make Him our hyper-desire. Make His glory our desire. Now, that, what does that mean? That means, does that mean you're going to, you know, stop completely whatever you're doing? If you're hyper, you know, if you're idle, if your hyper-desire is the beautiful, perfect family, does that mean you're going to abandon your kids and not take care of them anymore? Of course not. But it's going to change the way you do it. If your desire is for Christ, then you're going to see your kids as humans who need to be loved, not as obstacles to your peace and quiet. Does that mean you're not going to go to work tomorrow? Yes, you're going to go to work tomorrow. I'm not worried about that. You're all going to go to work tomorrow. But you're not going to go to work tomorrow to seek your, like your life depends upon it. You're not going to be pushing people out of the way for your security and for your name and for your honor. You're going to go to work tomorrow and see what the Lord has for you there tomorrow. And bless Him. And bless the people around you. And for some of us, it might mean even a little bit more. I think um, a lot of us, maybe, made decisions in life. And I talked last week about a man who... Um, decided not to go in the ministry, went into the law instead, and described them as the years the locust ate. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that for everybody, but, and I'm not saying if you didn't go into the ministry, you need to quit doing what you're doing now and go. But I do think some of us made the wrong decision. We stopped seeking the kingdom, and we started seeking whatever you want to call it, comfort, security, your honor, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. And 
I do think that now would be a good time just to ask, Lord, okay, I'm here. I got blown off course. I'm here. I'm not there. What do you want to do with me here? You were sovereign when I got blown off course too. You were in charge then. So I'm here now. What do you want me to do here? I'm not going to beat myself up for what I did 20 years ago, but I do want to know how to glorify you where I am. I think that's a great and beautiful question. I think the Lord will bless that. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we pray that you would uh, make us to feel that spirit, make us to feel that wind, and show us. Uh, Jesus says, you know which way it's blowing, you can feel it. Would you allow us to feel it and so we can walk with it? Would you show us what it means to direct our steps toward Christ? Uh, you promise, Lord, that if anyone would commit their ways to you, you would make our pathway clear. And so, Father, we do that. We commit our path to you. We want to be walking towards Christ's kingdom. Would you make that pathway clear for us, we pray. In the perfect and the precious name of Jesus, amen.